Well, I'm excited to, uh, to share this message with you as I, think, as I think about my journey in faith and I think about the things that have helped me um, grow and some of the challenges that I've had uh, in, my, in my walk of faith. I, if we're not careful as believers, we'll fall into this, into this pattern of just doing and sometimes we lose sight of the why. But let me pray for us today as we, as we get ready to start. Um, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. Uh, I thank you again for all of those that are here today. May today we trust you a little bit more than we did yesterday. And as a result, uh, live a life that is freer. Uh, live a life that is secure uh, in who you are. May we not have to guess about where we stand with you, God. But thank you for making it clear that you love us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to talk to the single women. There's not many of you guys in here. Uh, so for all the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies, um, imagine if you will use your imagination with me this morning. You're, you're on a date with this guy, that, uh, that, and things seem to be going well. You don't exactly know uh, how to bring up this matter of conversation, but, but you decide to press in since things are going good. You decide to press in a little bit and ask this man about his goals. And, and, so, and so I don't know what terminology you would use, but some, something along the lines of, hey, so, so tell me a little bit about your future and tell me a little bit about your goals. Uh, you know, and, and the guy is ready to answer. He's like, I got three goals, okay? I know exactly what I want to do. And his first goal, he says, look, my, my first goal is, is just not to lose my current job. That's my first goal. And, and, and you're kind of like, okay, that's not exactly where I, what I was thinking, but, but I appreciate the fact that you're prepared, uh, so you do not want to lose your job. Okay. Um, the, and then my second goal is uh, I, I'm working real hard not to get my second DUI, my second DUI. And then, um, and then you, you, you kind of look at him kind of weird. And then finally, I'm just working real hard. My third goal is just not to get another girl pregnant and that's and that's my goal and i have three goals to which you uh, uh you feel this kind of tension inside you and you wonder okay those are goals okay and then also so let me let me ask the dads here maybe the same individual or or or, or your your uh, daughter's uh comes home brings a guy home and as and as she's getting ready you're in the living room with him and you decide to press into this young man because he's going to take your daughter out for a date and you decide to ask him about his goals and you say hey young man um uh, tell me a little bit about your future what are some of your life goals and he goes so well my first goal uh mister is to not lose my current job my second is to not get my second dui and my third is well and he decides not to answer, but you know what the question was. And I want you to hang on to that tension that you feel around those questions. And I'm, I'm going to come back around to those here in just a second. So as we've been discussing and addressing the mess, uh, the idea of, of this series is that I know a mess when I see one because I am one. I know a mess when I see one because I am one. And when you see a mess in other people, one of the first things that you should do is take a step back and just realize that we are on this journey together and some of the messes that other people are experiencing is the same messes that you experience that you might experience. Some of us are between messes uh, and some of us are in a mess right now that we cannot just describe and we don't know how to interpret. And, and, and if we get really honest, our parents had their own messes and their own versions of messes 
is. And, and some of us clean up pretty well. And on the outside, we appear the way we appear. But on the inside and in our personal lives, there are messes and there are corners of messes, things that we've swept under the rug, things that we've ignored, things that we've decided not to address, things that, you know, things are just okay and you don't want to shake the bear or you don't want to wake up the bear or you don't want to create a bigger problem by addressing the problem. Sometimes that's the issue. You think addressing the problem is going to make the problem worse or the mess worse, but we all have them. And the mess uh, we make leads us to state the obvious. is that nobody's perfect and we all have messes. But by saying that nobody is perfect, we acknowledge something way bigger than that. And that is that there is a perfect that no one is. That there is a perfect that no one is. And when we acknowledge that we are not perfect, we are uh, by, by in the same token acknowledging that there is a perfection somewhere that we aspire to that somehow whether you're a christian or a believer or not you feel the ought not i ought not do that or i ought to be this way or i ought not to do that and so we've said that christians believe that uh that acknowledging that there is nobody perfect you're just one step away from acknowledging the reality of a god because there is a perfect that nobody is. And the good news is that Jesus loves the little messes of the world, and he loves your mess. And as we discussed last week, he loves so much that he sent his son into the world. He could have ignored the mess. He could have, like he did in the Old Testament, he could have flooded the earth, right? He could have burned the earth. He could have just said, I just want to start all over, reset. God is able and could do that. But he decided to step into the mess. And we acknowledged last week, uh, and we gave some examples in the New Testament about Jesus coming and addressing specific messes in people's lives. And we talked about how Jesus Jesus wasn't one to not get his hands dirty. And I don't know where the Christian church got that idea of, of not getting their hands dirty. And there's just some matters that I'm not going to get into, whether it's, you know, uh, the issue of homosexuality or the issue of abortion or the issue of politics or the issue of racism or the issue of money. And we just don't want to touch certain things or the poor. But I don't know where we got the idea that Jesus is far away from those topics and those things because the, the Jesus that I see in the New Testament engages in those areas, and we should try to mirror that same Jesus that we see in the New Testament. And, and so one of the things that, that I believe and that, that the New Testament teaches is that God loves us in our mess. And like a good father, he loves us too much to leave us in our mess. And that's the story of the gospel is that God sees a mess, but loves the world and loves the people of the world too much to leave them just the same. So as we ramped up uh, and, and, and worked towards the conclusion of the series, I want to work on that thought of Jesus loves you, but he loves you too much to leave you the same, to leave you helpless and hopeless. He wants to engage in your circumstance. And contrary to, to maybe your belief, Christianity is not about messing up and then getting forgiveness and then messing up some more and screwing up some more and getting and starting that all over again. That's not Christianity. That, that may be uh, country music, but not Christianity, right? But if we're not careful, we'll fall into this counterfeit version of, of, of being a Christian or of Jesus where it becomes all about not messing up again. And if we're not careful, we will be like that guy being interviewed by the daughter or being interviewed by the dad. Well, my goal is just not to sin again. My goal is just not to get that second DUI. That's just my goal, God. My goal, God, is just not to get another girl pregnant. My goal is not to waste my money. My goal is not to sin that way anymore. My goal is not to make another mistake, to make another mess. And if we're not careful, our whole Christian life becomes about just not doing instead of doing. 
It becomes about the things I need to stay away from rather than the things that I need to embrace. And maybe you're a Christian or maybe you're in your journey of becoming one or figuring out this whole following Jesus thing. But if you, one of the things that we believe is that Jesus walked towards the messes. And he didn't shy away from the message, and neither should you. And if you find yourself in a version of Christianity that is all about the things I need to stay away from, it is so much better than that. And if you, you've been introduced to a version of Christianity where it's all about the things that I don't do and the things that I need to stay away from and the things that I can't do anymore, and if I do, I'm not going to be loved or cared for, then I'm telling you, you've embraced just a, a brand of Christianity that is just counter that is a perversion of the real thing. This get forgiveness over and over for the same thing. And, and I understand why it drives you crazy. In fact, you wonder sometimes about us. You, you look at a Christian friend and, 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 and maybe you have a Christian friend. You're not a Christian. And, and you're like, I don't know why you stress yourself out so much. You're looking at the Christian person. like You, you do the same things I do. Uh, you say the same things I do. The only difference between you and me is that you go to church on Sunday for an hour and a half and I don't. The other only difference is that you feel guilty about a lot of stuff that I don't. So why do you believe what you believe? Right? And I've managed that tension and I've, and I've struggled with that tension for a long time. And what I've come to realize is that God does not want us to, to, to have a version of our faith that is all about the things we stay away from. And it's much more important the things we jump into with our lives. Now, um, the Christian life, again, is not about avoiding another mess. It's about becoming something. It's about becoming something. It's not about modifying your behavior, right? It's not about, well, now that I'm a follower of Jesus, I don't drink, and I don't smoke, and I don't cuss, and I don't this, and I don't that, right? That's the, the version of Christianity most of us were introduced to, or grew up in, or you've heard of. It's like, ooh, the reason you didn't want to go to church is because there was all these uh, thou shalt nots, right? And then Jesus introduces this, this new way of thinking where he says, you know, all those thou's are nots are just summed up in love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And all of a sudden, things become a little bit clearer. And, and in many cases, things become even more difficult to accomplish when you realize how difficult sometimes it is to love God with everything inside you and to love the people around you like you do yourself. Especially when the people uh, that he's talking to, your neighbor, is actually your neighbor in your house. Right? How hard is that? I find it sometimes easier to love somebody that's not in my house than a person that's in my house, whether it be my children. My wife is here, so I won't use her as an example. Whether it be, right? Somebody else? But 2,000 years ago, uh, uh, a man named the Apostle Paul jumped into the pages of history, uh, and he became a Christian just a few years after the resurrection. He was friends with all the major players in the, in the New Testament, and he began planting churches around the Mediterranean Rim, something that you know. And one of the churches he started, in fact, the very first church in Europe was in the city of Philippi. And Philippi was in Greece, and after he went and planted a church there, he did some other things. But about 10 years later, he writes a letter to this church in Philippi, right? And now we think he probably wrote a whole bunch of letters to this church that he started or planted, uh, but, but we only have one. And so this, uh, this letter was so valuable to these people that they made copies of this letter because it's like, okay, this is the guy that started our little gathering here, and he's writing us a church, and he, I mean, he's writing us a letter. And he's not writing us a letter from, from the beach. He's writing us a letter from prison in Rome 
where Nero is the ruler. And in this letter, he presents a much better and superior approach to following Jesus and being a Christian that perhaps uh, you uh, are experiencing or have experienced. And this is what he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. Okay, we're going to read this letter. And he sa- it starts like this. Is the, and I thank God every time I remember you. I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And this verse, anyway, because of your partnership, I got a little feedback, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And and this is just setting up for the point. But as I read this over and over yesterday, it kind of got me thinking the words that I couldn't get off of was because of your partnership, because of your partnership because of your partnership. And I can relate because if you're sitting here today or your kids are in the children's room, it's because there are people that have partnered with Angelina and I in this, in this vision of creating a church that unchurched people will feel comfortable or, or, or people that are uh, working on their faith or people trying to address this matter of spirituality or walk towards God's direction. It's because people have partnered. This is not, these aren't just people that, that have just said, well, you know, I'm going to join the church and be a part of the church. These are people that have decided to partner. I think of the music ministry and where it's, been, where it's uh, morphed into and grown into from where it was. If you were with us three years ago, you remember. Praise the Lord. So I can relate. And if you're watching online or listening online, like the testimonies that I get all the time of people listening and watching online, it's because people have not dumbed down their faith to what they should or should not do alone. They've thought bigger than that. They thought that their lives need to have more meaning. I need to do something more than just live for myself and enjoy the benefits of of sowing for myself and reaping for myself. And, And I'm not under the assumption that it is all that I make is for my consumption. And all the time that I have is just for me. No, these are people that have moved past the just do's and don't of religiosity and religion and have embraced following Jesus. And then once I came off of that thought, I kept reading. And and we'll continue. It says, being confident, confident of this, that he who began, I need you to listen now. I need you to listen. Being confident of this, that he, talking about God, who began a work in you. And let's stop right there. Did you know that it was God that began the work in you? What Paul is saying is when you start following Jesus, God begins something. Uh, When we were in our message, we wanted God to fix it now, but Jesus says, follow me, right? Jesus taught, follow me. It's a process. God is slowly changing you because he began something in you. And sometimes you're not able to, to see it as other people can. Sometimes it's easier for me to see the growth in you than sometimes it is for you to see the growth in yourself. Some of those things are really hard to see in the mirror. But maybe you uh, will interact with somebody that hasn't seen you in a while and you've been following Jesus for a couple months or a couple years. And all of a sudden, they realize that there's something different about you. They just don't know what it is. And, and they might not be able to articulate what they see. But God began something new on the inside of you and you you see the end game for a christian the the end game for a christian is maturity did you know that that it's maturity and you can't and you can't rush maturity maturity takes a process 
You can't skip stages in maturity. God will not allow you to skip those stages. You can cram for an exam. You can cram for a presentation, get it done the night before. How many of y'all have ever participated in those? Yeah. But you cannot cram. You cannot speed up. You cannot microwave maturity. And maturity boils down to trust. Maturity boils down to how much do I trust God in my current situation? And one of the things that you can do to measure your spirituality and measure your growth is in what areas am I trusting God and in what areas am I still trying to hold on to control? And God is saying through the apostle Paul, Jesus, God, be confident that he began a good work in you. And as you take steps, it's not necessarily about praying the right prayers or giving the right type of money or your church attendance, right? But it's about God doing a work and are you trusting what God says about you? Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you. Through the New Testament, we are reminded that God is up to something in us that should eventually come out of us. See, God addresses your mess because he's doing a work in you that eventually will come out of you. And it's not about the way you dress, and it's not about your vernacular, and it's not about uh, necessarily changing your personality. Those are all exterior things that we could all do, that we all do at our jobs, that we all do around the right people. We change those things so that we can be successful in whatever areas, right? You walk into a job, you don't walk into a job like you walk into your house, Right? You don't just start taking off your shoes and doing your thing. No, no, there's a protocol. You act a certain way. And, and unfortunately for us, church is one of those places where that's, the, that's one of the biggest things that you can fall into is just acting a certain way and forgetting that God's trying to do something in you. He's trying to make you into something. And that takes time. Just look at our children. They don't come out of the womb talking. They come out of the womb crying and complaining. They come out of the room, out of the room needing stuff. They need food. They need sleep. They need somebody to change their diaper. Need, need, need. And at the beginning of your walk in Christ, that might be all you can do. It's all you just need. You just need. You're needy. You need. You need. You need. And how long does it take for, for a child to grow out of that stage? It takes years. And so how, how do we expect uh, uh, somebody who's starting to follow Jesus to go from zero to adulthood in overnight? It's just not reality. It's about maturing you. Guess what? The only thing that matures you is situations and processes. And those things we don't like. God, get me out of this. Well, I'm trying to make something in you. And the only way to make something in you is to let you go through this thing that you don't like. And, and you have to have those hard conversations. Well, God, mature my marriage. Well, that only happens through trouble. It only happens through putting you, being in those situations where you have to sit down and talk and listen. And when you rather just walk out, no, you stay put and you listen and you talk and you have those difficult. But your children, it's the same thing. It's those hard routines and consistency and discipline and consistency and teaching them the word. Even though, listen, one of the things that Angelina and I do, and, and by all means, we're not saying this so you can look at us as, no, we're figuring this out along with you. But uh, Alina was like, babe, why don't we have more morning devos with the kids? And I'm like, okay, I could probably do it in the morning because I have to get up anyway. Um, but when I come home, I just don't want to be bothered, so let's do it in the morning. So I, I, we, we wake up between 5 and 5.15. I hop in the shower, try to wake up. I wake up the kids at 5.30 in the morning, the boys, at 5.30. They go to bed early now, remember, like 6 o'clock. 
But I wake them up at 5. I'm not abusing my children. No, but so I get them up at 5.30. Micah is morning, just like his mom. Ma, Micah is just like, is Devo time? Is it my day? What page are we reading? Number 32? I'm like, okay, just go, go to the bed. And Micah runs and wakes up, and Javier is just kind of like me. You know, and we lay down in our bed, and we, we take turns. And, and the reason we do that, and we try to build some consistency in them, is because we understand that God wants to do something in them. And faith, trust, comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. If you're not hearing the word of God and trying to trust God some more, it's just going to be very difficult. You're trying to trust God in these different areas and, and be removed from fear and anxiety, but you're not reading or hearing his word. It's just going to be hard because faith, trust, comes by hearing. Are you hearing? And then the Bible challenges us this is not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers. But that's another sermon for another day. And he that began a good work in you, he began a good work in you. Christianity is an inside-out faith. People have tried to make it from the outside in. I'll change all the outward things. I'll cover my tattoos and not curse around you or do some kind of things around you because if I look holy, then I, might be, I may be holy. But we know how stupid that is because it's about what's in your heart. It's not behavior modification. It's not just be good. It's not just stay out of trouble. The essence of Christianity is God renewing our hearts and our minds, renewing our hearts and our mind, renewing our hearts and our mind. I was telling Travis this morning on the way here, I was like, Travis, do you find it difficult to change the way that you think about something? You got some new information, and all of a sudden, now that you got some new information, you're reconsidering some of your past beliefs, but you're stuck because you believed it for so long and held it as true that now you're bumping up against, well, I know it's true. God loves me, no matter what. God loves me, but I was taught that God loved me based on my behavior, but now I'm learning that God loves me no matter what, and I'm just keep bumping into that wall. Every time that I try to be loved by God, I keep bumping into the, well, I have to perform, I have to do, I have to act like God doesn't know who I really am and what I'm really all about, right? And it's sometimes so hard, but we renew our minds by being in his word and, and, and being in dialogue about the things of the Lord and listening. Faith comes by hearing. He, it's his work on the inside of it because he began it. And verse 6 says he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Jesus. God started something in you that he wants to finish. He's just not trying to curb your mess-making abilities and behaviors and propensities. He's not trying to keep you from something. He's working to make you into something. There is a difference. He's trying to make you into something, and it's a reflection of who he is, and that takes time, and that takes help, and that takes being in the right environment conducive to growth, right? You can't explain a plant to growth and put it in the dark with no water. No, you get the plant, the seed. You, you learned that in kindergarten. You put the little seed, right? You put it by the window. You went by and you put a little water in it because you need the right environment. You can't be in the wrong environment and expect to grow the right way, right? But God is working on the inside of you. It's his work. Yeah, we cooperate. Yeah, we put ourselves in the right place, but it's his work. See, we try to speed up the process and make it our work, but it's his work because he knows the things we need to change. And sometimes the things we need to change, we can't see in the mirror. We can't, we can't see in the mirrors when we're selfish. We can't. We can't see in the mirror when we're, we're, we, we covet and when we are jealous and when we want to be something that he hasn't made. We can't see those things. 
And we can't see sometimes when we're wrong, even though everybody around us is telling us that we're wrong and everything points to us being wrong, but we can't see that we're wrong. It's God's work on the inside of you to change you. So God started something in you, and he's working to make it to completion. And then he prays this, and this is kind of crazy. Verse 9 says, and this is my prayer, that you, that you stay out of trouble and keep your hands to yourself. No, that's not in the Bible, okay? But if you didn't read your word, you wouldn't know that. Verse 9 says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Now, let's stop, because when we read our Bible, we skip over that. Who prays that? Think about the prayers that you've prayed. When have you ever prayed that? That's your love. That, Lord, I pray that my love would abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight. What? These are the verses that we skip. We're like Apostle Paul. What? Read it. That your love may abound. This is him praying. My prayer for you is that your love, your love for people, may abound more and more in knowledge as you learn about God, as you learn about his ways in depth, in depth and in insight so that you may be able to discern, to know right from wrong, to know which way to go and may be sincere, which is pure, without any hidden motives and blameless for the day of Christ. Did you know that this is what God is trying to do on the inside of you. God is not trying to make you a better, a better behavior. God is trying to make you a better lover of people. 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 Think about it this way, and I've used this illustration before, and I want you to hear it so often that it becomes second nature when you try to think about how God sees you and how he sees your relationship with you. If you and I are okay... But you're cussing at my children, you're pushing my children around, you're being mean to my children, you and I have a problem. There is no way that you and I can be okay and you have be treating my children any sort of way. It just does not work. So there's this invisible relationship that I want to have with this invisible God and I'm praying and my heart is set in the right way, but then somebody needs something and I'm ugly. And somebody's leaving and living life and I'm ugly and I'm not sincere with them and I'm not, and I don't feel any sort of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, uh, compassion for them. I have nothing. I don't care about their situation because it's me and mine, us five, and we thrive or us four and no more or us three and let it be, right? Whatever your situation is, us two and we through, whatever. And that's our mentality, as long as my family is taken care of. But how is it possible that we love a God who we cannot see, but then have people in our lives that we see on a daily and are just ugly? See, that's not, that's not Christianity. That's some made, that's, that's, or that's not following Jesus. That's some made-up religion where you could be okay and your heart could be okay vertically, but horizontally, your relationship with people is just ugly. Especially the person that is in your house. Especially the people that you live with. Especially the people in your circle. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? How can we love a God who we cannot see, but the people that are right next to us that have the thumbprint of God on them?
that were created in his image and likeness. Now, I'm preaching good this morning. In his image and likeness. Come on. How could we ignore? You know what happens? We get calloused. We grow numb. We grow accustomed to. These people in our lives have always been in our lives, so we just, you know, lo menospreciamos. How do you say that in English? Yeah, we don't appreciate them. Look at me talking in Spanish. What? <laughs> That's the anointing, T. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you, how can we? How? How? So when we work on our Christian faith and we work on our following Jesus, let's work on how we treat the people that are not. And, and sometimes it just requires attention. Attention. I'm listening to the words that you're saying. And I'm seeing how what you're saying should influence what I should be doing. Sometimes loving the person next to you is just about attention. It's just about attention. It's about listening. And then once you hear, then saying, how, how do I need to adjust my life in order to love that person? It is a challenge. It is a process. And most of us in the room, your pastor included, are just newborns as we journey through this thing called faith and loving on God. But it's a work that he's doing on the inside of you. He's doing it on the inside of you, inside of Josh and Joel and Eben and Keith, inside of us, inside of the worship team, inside of all of us. The essence of Christian maturity is not our invisible love, invisible love for an invisible God. The essence of Christian maturity is when a person can love another person that is difficult to love. Well, like Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount, so, so, so what if you forgive somebody that forgives you or love, or love somebody that loves you? Not, even, even the pagans do that. But he called us to, to go the extra mile, to do things that are counterintuitive, to be selfless people. There's a fascinating thing that Jesus said and taught, and I'll end with this. He taught that if you were on your way to the temple, and you were in line, and you had already bought your sacrifice. This is Old Testament, right? Actually, New Testament, but Old Testament, right? But you grab your little thing that you're going to slaughter for the forgiveness of your sin. You, got, you bought your little dove, and you're in line at the temple to go sacrifice. And you spent all day, you made a trip to the temple, right? And you spent all morning in line. And it's been three or four or five hours, maybe it hasn't been your turn to get to, to, to the place where you sacrifice your... Uh, your animal for the forgiveness of sin. That's how it used to be before Jesus, right? And so you're in line, and when you're in line, you remember that you have an ought or an issue or a pending situation or a problem against your neighbor. Jesus taught, leave your little ram tied up or your little thing, put it to the side, and he teaches, go and make right with that person, then come back to, 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 and try to make things right with God. So wait a minute, so, wait, wait. So, so the people in this time were like, well, are you saying that people are more important to God than, than your relationship with him? Well, I, I think what God is saying that the way you know how your relationship with me is going is by how you treat the people that are around you. So he said, leave your offering. Man, I've heard that preached so many different ways. I've heard a preach where it's all about the offering. Well, God wants you to make it right, but don't forget your offering. You have to give it. But that's not the point. The, but the point of that, of that story is leave it there 
Because there's something more important than you trying to fix your relationship with God. You have an odd against another person. What takes priority is go fix it with that other person. So take inventory in your life of the three, four, five people around you that you most come in contact with and start there. What are their needs? What can you do to serve them? How can you love them unconditionally? How can you give to them recklessly? It's a tough challenge. It's harder than just reading my Bible in the morning. I could do that with the Bible app. I don't even got to read it. Just press play. Siri, read me that verse. Let me finish here. Verse 11. Let me go back to uh, verse 10. So that you may be able to discern, this is his prayer, what is best and may be sincere and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of of right standing, filled with righteousness that comes, right standing only comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. So as I conclude, following Jesus is not primarily about doing what's right, although that is part is doing what he tells us to do. It's not right for the sake of right. Jesus raised that bar. It's right for the sake of others. Is that the way I'm behaving and I'm living is for other people because that's what's important to God. It's his people. And that's how you measure. Miss this and you'll dumb down to don't mess up again. Miss this and your life becomes about, dang it, I looked at porn again. Or dang it, I cussed at my wife. Or dang it, I did that thing again. All those things you should not do. I'm not, right? But if your life just becomes about that and getting forgiveness and emptying out your sin bucket and filling in your sin bucket again and going to God and emptying out your sin bucket. That's just all selfish living. It's all about you. And what I've come to realize about the gospel is that it's about other people. Self-centeredness just sets you up for your next mess. The, way, the best way to move beyond your current mess is to avoid the next one is just to join God in the work that he is doing on the inside of you. The essence of that work is moving beyond you. You avoid a mess by pursuing something better and is serving his people. So being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion. That work is going to happen. It's happening. Sometimes it's happening. You don't even know. It's happening on the inside and you can't see it, but it's happening. So a prayer... uh, a good prayer would be, Heavenly Father, complete the work that you began in me. Continue the work that you began in me. Continue to do what only you can do. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Let me pray for you. Man. We should cancel the church next week because we have a lot to work on. <laughs> Man. That's like a full, you just got a full plate of work and word. Don't ignore what you heard today. As you leave this place, ask yourself the question, who? Who? And have those difficult conversations and ask for forgiveness and fight it out and work it out. And you're not fighting with each other. You're fighting for your marriage. You're not fighting against your family. You're fighting for your family. It's a different way of seeing things. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for all those who today put their trust in you. May we tune our heart to what you are up to in the lives of people. Pray that you'd finish the work and continue the work that you begin on the inside of us. And as we trust you with our finances, with our relationships, with our children, in our marriages, in our jobs, may we put you first and honor you in the things that we say and do. We love you this morning and we thank you for giving us an opportunity to be in this kind of environment to hear your word. Bless our children. Help us recuperate that hour of sleep. In Jesus' name. Love you guys. We'll see you next week. Hug each other. Love one another. And if you can stay and help break down, we'd love it too. God bless you.